0: Big ears,
1: big ears is genuinely experimental,
2: always inspiring,
1: brilliant musicians. Big, 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 big ears,
2: is
3: an unusual experience,
2: that stuff is me for the big ears, is amazing,
3: Renaissance.
0: really refreshing, that's the energy, that's the spirit.
4: noise, noise, noise. Welcome to... I love Big Ears. Big Ears is my my favorite music festival because no matter what you go see, it'll be an unusual experience even if you know those musicians. And I, I think that's super exciting. You get to interact with those musicians. Oftentimes, like you see them walking around on the streets and you can just say hi to them. So I think it's the ability to hear and see very interesting music and also get to potentially meet the people that you'd like to meet. I'm Melinda Leo. I play the pipa, spelled P-I-P-A. It's a Chinese four-stringed, pear-shaped lute. Welcome to Sonosphere, the podcast that explores the sounds all around us. Today, we're going to talk about our experience at Big Ears. We'll hear from composers Anna Meredith, Wu Fei, Frodi Haltley, Jamie Stewart of ShuShu, Cecil Schott, also known as Colleen, and Andy Bliss and Carrie O'Brien of North. We're your hosts, I'm Amy.
5: And I'm Chris. From March 23rd through the 26th, we roamed Knoxville's historical venues for the annual Big Ears Festival. Knoxville, a city of just under 200,000 residents, was vibrant. It is impossible to experience this festival without experiencing Knoxville itself.
4: Big Ears is an annual music festival created and produced by AC Entertainment founder Ashley Capps. This festival is interactive, including talks and panels with artists.
5: It is accessible. Artists are next to you at shows and out and about in a small, walkable downtown Knoxville.
4: It's collaborative because artists are often working together with other artists, local or international, to put together interesting and one-of-a-kind performances.
5: It's interdisciplinary, offering both auditory and visual experiences through film screenings and installations.
4: And it is curious. Only those willing to open their ears wide enough to take in the subtle creativity of many classical, minimal, and avant-garde musicians will truly be inspired and moved. It creates an atmosphere of co-inspiration for the performer and the audience member.
5: Ashley had a vision in 2009, in partnership with Jason Boardman of Knoxville's Pilot Light and Chris Malinsky of the Knoxville Museum of Art. They organized the first Big Ears Festival, made of an ambitious and eclectic lineup including, but not limited to, Pauline Oliveros, Dan Deacon, Antony and the Johnsons, Philip Glass, The Necks, Wendy Sutter, and Larkin Grimm. The next year, famous composer Terry Riley became the first artist-in-residence at the Big Ears Festival. And that year, an even larger, more ambitious lineup followed with the likes of William Besinke, The Books, Tim Hecker, Bryce Desner, and more popular acts like Sufjan Stevens, St. Vincent, and The National.
4: In 2011, due to scheduling conflicts, the festival was canceled altogether, and it wasn't revived again until 2013. By this year's festival, Big Ears has become one of the most anticipated cultural events in the world, expanding to four days, 100 concerts, and 10 venues. Acts from Norway, France, UK, Germany, and across the states participated this year. Caps said, Big Ears brings the world to Knoxville, and it showcases Knoxville to the world.
5: Knoxville, as a city, lends itself well to the ambitions of the program. Something like this, according to Jill Sternheimer, who produces festivals at New York's Lincoln Center, would not be financially feasible to do in New York. Knoxville is more approachable and less expensive.
4: The worst thing? It's so damn hard to see everything you want to see with so many awesome performances and world-renowned musicians and artists, not to mention the films. How could you choose?
3: My name is Andy Bliss, and I'm the artistic director of Niefnorth, which is a contemporary chamber music organization. We have a, a performance ensemble called the North Project, but also we run a big summer festival every June that involves about 75 people, and so that, that's a big part of my musical life. But I, my day job, if you will, is I'm the director of percussion here at the University of Tennessee uh, School of Music. My friend Carrie O'Brien and I, who's kind of my, my partner in crime, if you will, uh, were students at Northern Illinois. It was kind of our, our joint interest in, in, I put in air quotes, scholarship, but also just, you know, we, we found out that there's like this huge body of work that involves us. It just so happens that much of that work was of an experimental nature because when percussion comes on the scene in art music, That's when a lot of traditions were being broken down, and a lot of people were starting to explore non-harmonic areas of musical development.
6: Yeah, my name's Carrie O'Brien. I got involved with North with Andy Bliss. Uh, We went to school together, undergrad in Illinois, and we had a number of older graduate students who would hear some music that they didn't like, that they thought was a little weird, and they'd be like, that stuff is (laughs) neef-norf. You don't want to play that, that is norf. Stay away from it, you know? So we thought, okay, like that's not the stuff anybody likes. And then eventually we secretly confided in one another and we were like, I think I like Niefenorf. (laughs) Like I think actually that's the kind of music that I like. Slightly more experimental, maybe a little um, rough at first going down, but you know, better with age or better with repeated listening. So we decided to kind of embrace what was once a kind of derogatory term and turn it into something that we would specialize in.
3: And so that stuff really like was exciting for us. And we decided to begin to collaborate and and focus on this this music that had been referred to as Neefnorf. And so we're, we're playing uh, Michael Gordon's Timber, which is the 60 minute very kind of polyrhythmic meditation on six wooden planks. And we've been playing that piece, we, we were fortunate to be take some part in the commission of the piece, and we're really, really excited to play that.
4: North paid homage to Pauline Oliveros' Single Stroke Meditation, and we talked to Carrie and Andy about why they chose this piece.
3: I have to give a hat tip to Carrie O'Brien, my colleague, who had the the idea to program it um, at the beginning of this this set that we're going to play to do her single stroke roll meditation.
6: You know, she was one of the first guests here at Big Ears, and she had recently passed, so we definitely wanted to honor her in some way. I also uh, write about her in my other life as a music historian, so I also wanted to kind of, um, I've been thinking about her music a lot. This is the one piece that's part of her sonic meditations that is explicitly for drummers. I call the a single-stroke roll meditation, so it does kind of depend on a, a certain dexterity of your hands that um, we could kind of offer.
3: Just can't think of a more beautiful way to kind of pull everybody into a space together after we've all traveled from all over and, you know, left our computers and our day jobs and our, our children and spouses and all the things that make up our, our crazy lives that we all live and to have that moment of, of focus and clarity to kind of clean our palate and and connect in all kinds of different ways. And We're, we're really excited to, to share that moment um, with the audience tonight.
6: The whole idea of big ears being that your ears can be bigger than your physical ears, that like um, you can embody sound. I think there's no one, uh, uh, no composer that I know of, that kind of lived that as a message. And then these sonic meditations, they end up just being practice, like practice uh, listening a certain way, approaching the world a certain way, and then go out and live your life that way. It seemed perfect to kind of start the festival that way, open up our ears.
3: I think there's like two ways of going through the world. One is assuming you know everything and that you have all of the answers, and th- these are the folks who might come to a concert and be very very disappointed. Or there's the constantly curious, trying to you know maintain that innocence that we all had as children all the way through your life, and and I think her her thoughts reflect that kind of a approach to living, and it really defines what Neef about, it defines who we are as people and as artists and musicians, it defines what the Big Years community is about.
6: I think it's incredible in part because I listen to a lot of popular music in my normal life <laughs> and I play a lot of classical music and study a lot of classical music as my day job and all those people are here, <laughs> like both of them. So. Um, I find that really refreshing. I also find sometimes that some of the pop fans are just incredibly open-minded to some of the music we've been playing. One of the shows we played last year, we were playing some Steve Reich, a, a pretty kind of gnarly piece called Four Electric Organs in Morocco Player, and it's not easy listening. In the room was packed, um, everyone was standing, people had like a beer in hand, totally not the vibe of a normal classical <laughs> music concert, but it was so refreshing that they were just like, yeah, I'm into it.
3: Gavin Breyers was down the hallway two hours ago giving a talk to the UT students because he's here with big ears and Kronos Quartet's come here and Steve Reich has come here and Stephen Schick came here last year and hung out with my percussionist. People know him as a conductor these days but he's like one of the pillars of percussion playing in our field and someone I've looked up to and, and befriended and has been a real musical mentor for me in a lot of different ways and so the fact that these folks are coming through town is it's, it's just work, and, and when these things pop up and somebody's there to like kind of pull it all together, all kinds of really, really great things can happen. It kind of feels like a renaissance of sorts.
6: The fact that you can walk around this town and see so many incredible acts in close proximity is unbelievable.
2: Cecile Schott and I perform as clean. What inspired the name Colleen? Actually, um, I think there's a kind of misunderstanding now. So some people even think that's my real name. Or (laughs) actually, I was. um, I used to study English, and I loved opening my bilingual dictionary at random. And there is an actual uh, Irish word, uh, Colleen, uh, which is spelled the exact same way as the first name Colleen, and it means uh, young girl. And I just loved the way it was written the uh, the fact that it was uh, you know it has curves and repetition and i thought oh wouldn't that be ideal for the kind of music that i'm starting to make And I also like the fact that it's easy to pronounce in any language. And also the French word, Colline, which is written differently, it means hill. So again, we're back to the idea of something like a kind of a smooth, rolling, repetitive kind of landscape. I guess it depends how far back you want to go. If we go back to um, really the beginning of how I started making music, I was just a Beatles fan when I was about 13 or 14 years old. And um, I saw two guys playing, um, you know, doing acoustic covers in the streets of Copenhagen on holiday with my parents and I I thought, oh, I want to be able to do this. After a couple of years of playing more like um, indie pop, noisy rock kind of style music, I realized that I wasn't made for playing in bands, so I tried to make music on my own. I had this uh, four track tape recorder and I would, you know, use, uh, you know, uh, glasses and um, record that or record my guitar and slow it down put it backwards so kind of trying to do what I did subsequently with the help of a computer but just with my limited means Uh, that didn't work out too well so there was a kind of a three year break and then uh, I got my first computer so that really led to the um, the start of the Colleen project which was something more I guess accomplished in terms of um, just you know, like the technical quality of using a computer um, compared to what those uh, four-track tape recorders were. I have to say, when I found out about the existence of Big Ears, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if I if I played there? I also I work without an agent in the States, so I don't have anyone to introduce my work to people. So I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if it happened? But And then last year I got an actual invitation from one of the co-founders of the festival. So uh, I was really uh, amazed and I knew it would be a long trip to come over here. It's really interesting when you're with the top of the current musicians in various genres. It's like it's always inspiring to see how everyone has something to say in their own language. I saw three shows yesterday. I'm gonna see more this weekend. It was too hard to choose one show, so even though I don't like the idea of catching only part of a show, I I did do it yesterday, so I saw the first half of Matana Roberts, then I saw a little bit of the Sarah Snyder song cycle, and then I ended with Michael Hurley, so like (laughs) three completely different things. I loved the three of them, I have to say though that Michael Hurley was very special, especially after catching a glimpse of something very maximalist, to just come back to an old man with just a guitar and his voice. It was very soothing. It's also like going back to the origins of music almost. And I I really, I just went to bed after that. I thought, oh, this is just perfect. I saw Madmos uh, this morning, which were amazing. After my show, I'm going to see Tortoise. Uh, I would have loved to catch uh, Laetitia Sadier oh. and oh, also yeah. Michael Hurley, who's playing at the same time as me, so really <laughs> bugs me because I would have loved to catch the entire show. also going to see the two Shushu shows. Oh, yeah. The Magnetic Fields, I'm going to try and catch at least one of these. I would love to catch some uh, Meredith Monk. Literally, I would be interested in seeing every single thing, but also I don't want to go in complete a overload mode. I guess most of the people who, who are going to see me tonight have probably not seen me yet anyway. I think they should see their show that corresponds to the last album and on which I spent so much time rehearsing. Oh, I was going to say that I listened to some more music yesterday because actually I got a bit sunburned. <laughs> I could just crisscross the entire town and try to look for the green spots that were accessible by foot. I've owned a smartphone for only two months, so I'm still like, um, you know, uh, learning all the things that I can do with the smartphone. And I have this uh, recording app. There are bird species that look very similar and can be distinguished only by their singing. So I'm really proud of myself because yesterday I was in a typical case of trying to identify uh, a chickadee. It could be um, the um, black uh, is it black-capped chickadee or a Carolina chickadee. And so um, I saw that you could only distinguish them by their song, so I recorded the chickadee, and turns out it was a Carolina chickadee. <laughs> I was really amazed at the, the singing of some of the birds that I saw for the first time yesterday, because it's my first time in the south of the U.S. So for instance, the northern mockingbird has some like completely crazy... Um, imitations and singing Mm -hmm. he was amazing and then the northern cardinal which is this amazing uh, red bird making sounds like kind of like car alarm sounds and that and it was really amazing so i had a really really good time with uh, the bird watching yesterday and i'm gonna try to do some more this
4: weekend so no no future birds
2: (laughs) being in your (laughs) music i don't i don't think so although the carolina chickadee has a really really cool um singing style so who knows you know
7: I'm a composer and a producer. I write electronic and classical music and I'm here at Big Ears with my band. So this is the last show of a tour we've been on. So we've been in the States now for two and a half weeks doing shows in LA and San Diego and then South by Southwest and then New this is the final one so it should be good and yeah this is a particular this is a band I've been touring with for a couple of years now so uh, they're great they're amazing players. Uh, the process we seem to have worked out as a band is that I basically write everything to sort of demo forms and then I work with the band members individually on their individual parts whether that's the drum part or the guitar part or whatever so and they you know they're really they're all from a classical background too but are very inventive and you know that's why we all enjoy working together. So they've got loads of good ideas about the tracks generally, but I try and get them to a, quite a finished state before I let anybody else kind of put their toppings
3: in. Yeah.
5: Anna Meredith was touring her latest album, Varmints, that came out this time last year. We talked to Anna about the response to Varmints in the U.S. and the world.
7: Well, it's, I sort of have decided to try and not ever now predict anything. Like last year... Uh, Was so different to any year I've had before, even just on a very practical level. That with the band in previous years, we were doing three or four shows a year, and last year we did 40. And you know, all you know, so I was touring suddenly became this big part of my life that had never been before. And I love it, but it's I didn't expect that, and it's great. But it's meant then it meant that all the commissions, the classical commissions that I'd taken to make a living, and that's (laughs) right, had to be done in the back of the tour bus, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, that sort of stuff. That was quite tricky. So I'm trying to just not make too many plans and just see what happens, you know, I'm so happy the album's gone down well and people like it. Because I don't think about what type of music I'm trying to write while I'm writing, I feel I use the same building blocks and the same ideas across anything I'm writing, whether it's a piece for orchestra or a piece for nursery old kids or a piece for band or a remix, you know, I use the same... Compositional ideas, and I use actually a lot of the same techniques. I used classical notation software like Sibelius or Finale for writing all the music I write for my band. So I, I see it's the same stuff. I find it sometimes frustrating, but everyone else will be kind of, oh, so this is a pop track, and this is a kind of <laughs> right. metal track, and this is a kind of classical track, and I just don't see it that way. That's which is partly why I didn't invent a sexy band name for myself. I thought I'm just gonna <laughs> keep it as my name because it sort of works and all uh-huh. the full spectrum of what I do.
1: Jamie from Shushu.
4: On Saturday afternoon of the fest, American experimental band Shushu performed the music from Twin Peaks. It was released exclusively as a Record Store Day release in April of last year. The covers were originally commissioned by Queensland Gallery of Modern Art for a 2015 exhibition called David Lynch Between Two Worlds. Shushu also performed their original work on Sunday. We spoke with Jamie on the process of preparing for and performing Twin Peaks.
1: I mean, at this point we've played Twin Peaks enough times and we have, have toured it a couple of times that we we know it pretty well. Um, and I, I initially it was a little bit more of a stretch because the, the this quote-unquote regular shishu stuff is very, very personal, and Twin Peaks is much more of a fantasy uh, sort of fan exploration. So emotionally it, was, it took a, me a long time to sort of adjust, now I'm used to it, but initially to adjust to playing some music that, although I love very, very much, obviously is not based in reality anyway and has nothing to do with my actual life or the life of anyone I know, but still something that was very important to me. Uh, the shift now just not, not quite so, so difficult. Uh, and the Twin Peaks thing, when we're not fucking up like we did today a bunch, um, is actually fun. Mm-hmm. Whereas regular shishu is not. It's rewarding, but it's not fun. We tried to essentially take all of the songs and push them through all of the Black Lodge kind of characters. We uh, have often said we just we played the songs, but through the Bob fuzz pedal. Um, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the parts of the series are very funny and very romantic and sweet and sort of silly in a good way. But that is not so much who. Although we appreciate it as viewers, that's not really who we are as players so much. But we are as players. I think more honestly attached to the. Garamambosia is part of what the, what the series is. Um, so uh, channel, channeling Leland uh, is disturbingly easy to do. Oh, and and a to you. It sounds and
0: funny to you. and Well, note mares eat oaks and does eat Oaks and little...
5: Certainly,
1: not in the United States, I cannot think of another festival that kind of crosses the boundary between genuinely experimental and genuinely avant-garde music, and then bands that are essentially pop bands, but that have affiliation or an interest in experimental music, and that comes through, you know, like bands like, you know, Blonde, or Deer, or bands like that, they are, you know, they write songs, you know like quote unquote normal songs but there's still something very very experimental about what they're doing versus something today where they're you know doing like the Kareki symphony with all guitars you know which is completely on the other side of what you know those those other bands are doing but that they're able to see the, the commonality and the thread between those two I, I don't think that there's another festival in the US that does that
4: Big Ears highlighted many Norwegian acts this year. One of them, Frode Haltli, had his US premiere of Border Woods at this festival. Uh,
8: My name is Frode Haltli. I play the accordion. And um, I did some concerts here at Big Ears. And I did one with music composed by other composers for for solo accordion and some improvisation. and, And I also did a piece I made for four musicians called the Border Woods. I'm uh, the the most common thing uh, in Norway at least is that if you play the accordion, it's because your father played it and your grandfather played it and so on. But for me, it wasn't like that. I I I'm not quite sure, but I think I just saw it on TV or something, and I wanted an accordion for Christmas when I was seven well i was uh, exposed to a lot of different music from an early age a uh, mix of my own curious curiosity and uh, some good influences uh, where i grew up but i mean i grew up in a very small place i love to play with with uh, good traditional players i played a lot with fiddlers and uh, singers especially i what i'm now doing most is to use that as a source for making new music like this piece today it has a very it has very clear references to traditional scandinavian music also in in the way we play like now i brought emilia amper in the piece who's a fantastic swedish nyckelharpa player and she comes from more traditional background but i mean she's she can also do anything but uh, (laughs) we kind of it's it's a piece but it's not entirely It's not scored into every detail. It's like uh, we play parts of the piece we play together like we play folk music. Important for me was that we should be able to play it uh, quite freely, even though the form is completely decided and there's a lot of things that are decided i didn't want emilia to sit and read the music like during the piece because that wouldn't would probably not be that good it's good that we have the flexibility to you know improvise a little play around with uh, some themes and but then at parts it's more strictly written out and and i wanted to enrich the sound with, uh, in this piece, with uh, like elements from more like classical contemporary music. We performed it sometimes, but only in Norway, actually. So it's not the easiest piece to tour with. I mean, it's like we need a five octave marimba and a, a vibraphone some, they play on glasses. They, it's, it's not a huge uh, setup, but it's not the easiest piece to tour with. So. I'm really happy that we could come here and we're also playing in Chicago and Cleveland now on this tour, so that's fantastic. And it's the first time we played outside of Norway. Basically. I have to say they've been extremely positive here and friendly, <laughs> so. And there's, it's really a lot of organizing just to, to get here. So, uh, yeah. You wouldn't want to do that if you don't have, like, really good people that is welcoming. But, I mean, they're really... It's a great festival, so I'm really happy to be here. festival like this, I haven't experienced that. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoy it. I, uh, I think it's... It's, like, the perfect place to do a festival like this also with all this it's a small place but great venues and great food <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like the uh, yeah the infrastructure is, yes. uh, is so good here and uh it's like you walk in the street and you're in the festival you really it's like you meet people all the time who've been to yeah was going to a concert or <laughs> musicians and uh, uh it's I, I really had some, some nice days
0: My name is Wu Fei and in America I'm, most of my friends call me Fei, that's my given name because in China family name goes first so my parents call me Wu Fei but if you know in America you can call me Fei and I'm originally from Beijing and now I live in Nashville. I am a classically trained composer and a guzheng player and a vocalist. The so guzheng is a traditional Chinese zither plucked what has 21 strings about five feet long i grew up hearing or singing a lot in my household uh, both my parents love singing i mean chinese people just love singing and they don't they have very different cultural um, concept about singing in public like karaoke was in there so you know how much we are we can't sing in tune but i must sing you must know how i sing not in tune been a fan of uh, traditional songs and operas uh, just just fascinated by their style of singing and then the story and their their masks and makeup and their head pieces and uh, it was just uh, you know in China there's so much history built around the operas and the song the folk songs uh, it's not just uh, like a simple songs, sometimes a theater, acrobat, uh, uh, or martial arts, all involved in one kind of one opera. So it's uh, just a lot of information too. So I was, as a child, I was very fascinated by all those um, forms. I didn't know it was like supposed to be art. As I became more uh, matured as a person and as an artist, I see how powerful um, folk Culture, folklore or folk music can translate and connect um, ourselves to uh, our own past from our own origin and to elsewhere because it's really the same like when I learned um, American folk songs that uh, about like railroad workers emotions it sounds I mean the the tune the, the vibe sounds so similar to boat workers from central China from you know, 400 years ago because like it's, it's, it's like kind of a calling to help each other to pull this thing up together and then dump it. And so like call and response, single call and then group response. So, so that's like, that's just humans. And uh, so I learned a lot actually, and it's uh, become much common. So, oh wow, we're all the same. Wow, I think Big Ears is doing it's changing history in America for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I just heard that uh, like 70, maybe 70% of the attendees came from elsewhere outside of Tennessee. I think for Tennessee, it's going to, in the long term, to benefit because it's hard to break uh, an old tradition, how local will see things. But they could be doing it. We have, we say, uh, another comes to another Chinese saying, Di shui, chuan shi is like single drop of water that if it Keeps dropping on that thick piece of rock. Over a million years, it can through a hole and make a tunnel through the rock. So that's the energy, that's the spirit, I think. And I think that's the thing that will actually change the world.
4: This has been an independent production of Sonosphere, produced by Amy S. and Chris Williams.
5: Check us out at sonospherepodcast.com, subscribe on iTunes, and check us out on SoundCloud.
4: Thanks for listening.